Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, Life in the Saddle. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. Well, hello there, everybody. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Life in the Saddle podcast. Sure appreciate your time. Hope you're having a great day and you and your horse are learning and progressing and growing together towards the partnership that you are looking for. I want to talk today about something that's seemingly simple, something that seems like it ought to be fairly straightforward and sometimes we really struggle with it or we get things going down the wrong way, and that is haltering. Just the simple act of putting our tool onto our horse. Haltering or bridling, of course, it leads to bridling. How can we mess up something so simple? How is it so many folks end up basically showing horses how to do the exact opposite of what we're looking for? You'd think it's fairly straightforward, And it is, but we as humans have a tendency to get the cart before the horse in a lot of ways. I think by being task oriented and wanting to just get it done regardless of how the horse feels about it, we end up making the right thing hard for them without even realizing it. If you think about it, this is very common in many things that us humans do with horses. We end up making the right thing hard. And if you're familiar with that saying or that principle, make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult, what we end up kind of doing is making the right thing hard because sometimes, a lot of times, we've tried to make the wrong thing impossible or we've tried to make the wrong thing so much harder or, or even impossible that the right thing actually is hard as well. And so we're not setting things up for success there, obviously. We're not really setting our horses up to be winners. There is no easy for the horse in that scenario. And what happens is we have taken away the the motivation, the release, the peace that they're looking for in our relationship, in the partnership we're trying to develop. We end up removing the chief one of the chief motivations from them if we don't make the right thing easy and and help them find release. Now, I'd like to discuss both the mental side and physical side of this haltering situation because we often want to know what we should do about something. I get that question a lot. What should I do about this? What should I do when my horse is not doing this? And, And us humans want, you know, this cookie cutter answer, a technique, right? What are we going to do? And that's an important question. There's nothing wrong with asking that, but it's often not quite the right question to ask. Because we often want to know what we should do about something without understanding the why or how that fits the horse better or sets them up for success better. In other words, a horse that gets evasive about haltering or bridling 
has probably already been thinking that way prior to the actual haltering. In other words, it's a mindset, it's a mental thing before it's a physical thing that we say, wow, I can't get this halter on or, or it's tricky or I'm having trouble or he raises his head up or whatever the case might be. It's like Ray Hunt always used to say, what happened before what happened happened. So it's always cause and effect, see. And so we have to think this way and we have to be able to address the mental side of what's going on. I can remember as a kid fumbling around trying to get a halter on one that was hard to catch with a grain can in one hand and attempting to fend off a couple others, you know, all at the same time. Looking back, it's, it's hard for me to believe. Why was I doing it this way? Well, because that was the only way we could catch one of them was with a bribe, grain or a treat. And, of course, this is common. It's a common way that us humans get around the fact that the horse is not really with us mentally. Horses maybe not really a willing participant in the partnership. We got some pieces missing. So instead, let's get to where we can direct the feet to get to the mind. So again, there's that little interaction with the physical and the mental going on right there. But we're trying to get to the mind. There are some horses that will help you with this. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that. They tend to be a little more standoffish, whether by nature or through their experience with people. Maybe they're very evasive purposefully and practiced at it. Maybe they're scared, right? There's different motivations. But essentially, we want to be able to, quote-unquote, catch them mentally before we physically put a halter on them. There's a big difference there. There's a big key difference right there. The best setting, I think, to work on this is in, in a round pen or an enclosed area where we can isolate the work of communication through body language. Now, if you haven't listened to episode 5 of Life in the Saddle podcast, go back there to episode 5 and check it out. I, it's the elements of body language. So taking that term out of the abstract realm and, and putting it into some concrete aspects that we can really sink our teeth into and understand what are we talking about. Because everybody says body language. It's a real catchword. And I don't like terms that don't have a lot of meaning or, or depth or practical aspects to them. Okay, So when you hear somebody say, well, it's just it's in your body language or... They get a flag out and they start talking about body language. Let, let's be clear. Body language is actually in your body and it's actually a language. It's actually communication that we can actually tap into to get our horses understanding, truly understanding what it is that we're looking for them to do. So we need to get in there in that round pin or in a closed area, a corral or a pin or something, and just simply be able to ask them to go, stop, turn, you know, change directions, transition through the gates would be good if you could get them to walk, trot, and lope, not chasing them or scaring them into it, but actually responsively moving their feet through the understood communication. And in that process, helping them learn that the mental focus, their mental focus on us is one of the most important things we are looking for. As I'm working on this with one, 
I'll often use a little sound or, or some sounds in conjunction with my body language to help draw their attention. A little whistle or a snap of my fingers, those I find work well. Something to draw their attention through that auditory signal. As they'll look or glance at me, I can offer them release. I'll time it up that way so that their focus towards me results in release, their attention towards me, and, and I have a way of asking for that. Remember, at this point, if we're working them free, they're at liberty in this enclosed area. We only have the indirect feel of our body language to work with. And I talk about the indirect feel in that episode five. So the idea of the pressure and release is not a physical thing, it's psychological. See, I think a lot of folks don't understand how noise and movement can be used intentionally to offer a feel to a horse or used to increase a sense of pressure in a situation or decrease that sense of pressure. This, this may be a subject for another day. So then with a little practice, we're in the round pin, we're in that pin, we now have the ability when the horse is moving, essentially, to ask them to stop, right? Because if you're having a hard time catching a horse or he's lifting his head up, he's being evasive in his mind, and we want to be able to catch them mentally first, then we have a horse that's moving, and we have the ability now to ask them to stop through a change of our position and to look us up, to actually mentally engage with us. And they know there is release there. This is how they know they found the answer. Now, back out in the pasture among the other horses, they may have some other tricks up their sleeve, right? I can hear what you're saying. You know, with the amount of space to work with or positioning themselves strategically, putting others between them and you, all those things, right? We know that, that that's going to happen probably. If you have one that is particularly practiced at this behavior, it will take some time to build up to being able to catch them like we're talking about here. One in that case might also think about their overall approach and if it fits the horse in such a way as to build willingness and true partnership so as to help change this evasive mindset. But with some practice or breaking it down you know, and building gradually, you're at that place where you're out there in your herd or however many horses there are and you're able to start to work with this body language and, ha and position them and have them stop when you want them to stop. And you can start to see, with a little practice, you can start to see for the most part when they are caught mentally. You'll see a change in their body language. They might soften a bit. They might stand while you start to walk up to them, you know, but there's this look in their eye. I, it's hard to explain. I can't even really describe it. But with some practice, maybe a lot of practice, you'll start to be able to see when they're actually caught mentally most of the time. Maybe they walked off for a while or cut you off behind another horse, but with a consistent pressure to move their feet and position them away from the others and then releasing as they look you up or asking them to stop and get them to look, look at you, you'll be able to walk slowly up to them. One note here, a side note for the really sensitive type that's not evasive just for the sake of being evasive, is to approach quietly, not too slowly like a sneaky predator, 
not too directly, like not just marching straight up to them on a straight line necessarily. And then also with your intention aimed away from them. And what I mean by intention is where you're directing your the front of your of your body. Your shoulders are squared away. That's your intention. I talk about that in that podcast, episode five, body language. Direct that away from them rather than marching in there facing them. Kind of direct your your facing away from them a little bit and just and just sidling up alongside of them. And, and that can sometimes help those ones that are more sensitive and a little more bothered. I've got a video on this, actually. It's on YouTube. Uh, it addresses this little approach. You can find it if you search the 2020 Basics series. All right, It's the first one of the, of the Basics series that we did at the start of 2020. So check that out. And don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. As you come alongside, and I, of course, work on being able to do this on either side, get to where you can get alongside either side of them, it's important that we don't always just throw the halter straight on them. With the more difficult ones, I may go through this process of getting them caught mentally when I'm actually intending to work with one of the others. I'm just spending just a minute or five with them to have them get a little practice being mentally with me or getting mentally with me and then actually having and finding the release of not having to go to work. It was just, can you be willing to get with me? Can you let me catch you mentally? That's all I'm after. That's all I'm working on. And again, it might take you a minute, might take you five minutes, might take you 10 minutes, but those sorts of things are going to pay off to change the mindset of the horse so that it's not evasive. So don't always be catching them straight away. Don't always be in a hurry to catch them if you can help it. If they're caught mentally, then you shouldn't have to rush. And oftentimes the energy of being in a rush doesn't offer a great feel to them right then in that moment. Now, as to the actually physical aspect of putting the halter on, I often see an approach used that is really not helpful. And I used to think it was mainly in the English disciplines, which is where I've seen it the most down in New Zealand. It's the most common. But just the other day, I saw a young Western rider use this same approach. So there you go. And that is being to, to come from underneath, slipping the noseband on, and then proceeding to flick the top of the halter over the pole in order to then tie or buckle it. Usually, either hitting oneself in the head or the horse in the eye or something along those lines. I did a video on this a few years ago as well, actually. It's it's, I posted a number of places, but it's probably easiest to find on my YouTube channel. It's called Helping a Horse to Get Haltered. Helping a Horse to Get Haltered. And, and that's an interesting way to put that, okay? That's to help us think about it differently. But the worst part about this approach is the way we start by coming in under their chin. This very easily encourages the horse to raise its head and it's not hard to see how that is counterproductive for what we're trying to accomplish. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard someone say, oh, he's just too tall for me, or he thinks he's a giraffe, <laughs> I'd be a rich man. Why do we set things up for them to learn things that aren't helpful? So instead, with my right hand above their head and my left hand on the bridge of the nose, 
I'll use as little pressure as possible to ask the horse to position themselves with their head down and around toward me. In other words, as they move away from my hands, they find release. I do not hold them there. I do not push them there. This is not a matter of force or strength. It is simply a request, which then is followed by release. If they push away or leave before we're done, then they run back into pressure. But the only way to get them to think it is that they get release when they do it. Then they're going to want to think it more. I'm not trying to force them there. I want them to think it. Sometimes, quite often, I'll need to do this or help one with this quite a bit, maybe without even having the halter involved. I've just got my hands there somewhere around in those positions just to, to get to where I can ask that horse to bring his head down and around. Eventually, even with just my right hand up there behind his right ear. Then, if and when I do have the halter, I'm actually going to start I'll lay my right hand on top of his neck. If he's okay with that, I'll then see if I can draw his attention with the halter in my left hand. At the very least, I want to see that this doesn't make him want to leave, right? If we're talking a sensitive one or one that's, you know, real bent on this evasiveness, if, if that kind of preparation in my body language to put the halter on causes him to want to leave and I start to lose him mentally there, I want to address that right there. I want to get him to think back towards me. And, and help him find a release somewhere in that step before I just cram a halter on it. I will then hand the top part of the halter under his neck from my left hand to my right. Okay, this is the only time I'm going to come in underneath, but I've, remember, I've already got him caught mentally, and I'm not putting the halter on his face. I'm just slipping the top part around the offside of his neck so that I now hold it in my right hand, the top part of the halter. Having worked with just my hands by themselves before, I want to be able to ask him now with my right hand on the right side of his neck up towards his ear to bring his head down and around to me. And again, he should position himself. He should be moving his own head over and down. I'm not pushing on it. I'm not holding him there. There's release there as he does that. As he comes around then, he finds the hole for his nose as I hold it open with my left hand. And I'm already in position to tie or, or buckle the halter as my right hand lifts and slips it onto his nose. I'm already in a position there just to, to close that halter up. So this approach, doing it this way, avoids driving his head up and thus encouraging evasive thinking or position there, as well as the sometimes fractious throwing of the top of the halter across their pole that often is it's just a disturbing thing. Of course, a lot of horses get used to it. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying it doesn't feel very good to them most of the time. Uh, it you know it hits you in the eye, hits them in the eye or the face, you know, and it it's just is a fractious way of doing things. All right, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying I don't feel like it really fits the horse very good there, and it is part of an approach that really doesn't work a lot of times for getting one haltered very well. Remember, at any point, any stage in this process, as with anything, a person may need to take it in smaller steps. Most definitely, we'll probably need to quit when it's good, right? Quit when we're ahead, quit when everybody's winning. 
so as to build a better mindset in the horse. This is not just about getting the halter on so you can go about and do what you're doing. If you want them to get better, there will be times when you're going to have to quit when it's good, quit when it's right, at whatever stage of the process you're at. Whether that's quit for 30 seconds or 5 minutes or 5 days, it, that's up to you. But, but release when it's good. Build that willingness. As with anything we are doing with them, the quality of the physical side of what we're doing is directly related to how the horse thinks and feels about it. In other words, mentally and emotionally, right? They've got that stuff going on. It's all in there. I hope you found this helpful. Hey, if you like those YouTube videos, be sure and check out our full online video library at truewesthorsemanship.com. Please share this episode with a friend who would enjoy it, and don't forget to leave a rating or review. Keep a leg on each side and your mind in the middle. We'll catch you down the road. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to Life in the Saddle podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share and leave a five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.